Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem and a special one for you today. Before we get there, though, a little tiny bit of housekeeping. In conjunction with the release of this show, we will be putting out with about the same time or within a few days, working on that one right now. But we did a follow-up show with Caliph. We're calling it the 201 show. The first one, the bonus show that we did, was really built for pilots who were just leaving the nest. This one is now much further along, so you're starting to thermal and deal with turbulence and flying XC, and this one has a lot of great topics as well. Uh, Barbecue, bowling, and baseball, spook early and often, Uh, what is turbulence, how to map it, the way of the butterfly, and a lot more. I really like how Caleb thinks about flying and teaching and mentoring. He's got a really cool thing going on out there in the Northeast. Uh, really stoked community. And so these are his concepts, sometimes his own, sometimes uh, taken from other places, other books and other things he's read and seen. But they're great concepts that are really fun to explore. And that's what we did. So I think regardless of where you are, on the learning spectrum, we're all in some place in the spectrum. Uh, it's some really valuable stuff there, so keep an eye out for that one. That's for subscribe subscribers, and as always, you don't have to do anything to be a subscriber of the show. Uh, hopefully someday you can support it, but if you can't, that's totally fine. Just send me an email, and I'll set you up with a lifetime subscription, and you can have access to all those bonus shows. We're trying to put out more of those these days. And it's a lot of fun to create these for different aspects of where you are in your own bit of flying. So huge thanks to Caleb for putting so much thought into these and making them happen and sharing the stoke and the knowledge. This show is with my good friend Paul Guschbauer in our continuing series of uh, taking a walk and fly down memory lane for the Red Bull X Alps. Of course, we just had the 2023 Red Bull X Alps, and that was lightning fast. Paul has now done eight of these. He started in 2011 when he was truly a pup flying, and that one went really well because the weather was terrible, but he also talks about how poor of a pilot he was. He was pretty brand new to the sport and decided, yeah, this is this looks really cool. I want to go on this adventure, and he did, and he did well, and he got third, and that led to the Red Bull sponsorship and athlete sponsorship and a lot of other stuff. He's very good at working the sponsorship angle. and But that also put a ton of pressure on him to do well and perform well in the 2013 race, which didn't go nearly as well and really struggled both mentally, well, mostly mentally, physically, he was still a beast. But uh, So he talks about that, and we go through each event all the way up to the most recent which was a furious thrash through the x alps the fastest that had ever been done and we talk about that just the level and how things have changed with gear and uh, training and the professionalism of the team and going from you know mandatory just one supporter to as many as you want there's been a lot of changes in the race over the years and but the biggest one is just how fast uh, athletes are capable of doing it these days so 
we had a ball with this. It's a long one, but it's, uh, God, I, I love this race, as you all know I do. And I know these uh, these talks about the XR, X-Alps aren't everybody's cup of tea because this is really at one very extreme end of the sport. But it's pretty fun to see what Aaron and he are doing with the Vonderbird and just the explosion of hike and fly around the world, including my own race here, the Global Rescue X-Red Rocks, which we just had, which was a hoot. So I think you'll enjoy it. It sounds like this is, uh, seems like the future of the sport which is really exciting. So enjoy this crazy, very fun, very entertaining talk with Paul Buschelbauer. Cheers. Paul, we've been uh, talking about doing this for an awfully long time. It's finally, it's finally coming to fruition, but nice to see you and nice to have this chat with you about taking a walk down memory lane with the Exops. Yeah. Hey, Gavin, I'm happy that we finally make it happen. And it's good to talk to you again. Has been a while and I'm happy about your invitation to your podcast. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, you've got a podcast now going with Aaron with the whole Vonderbird thing, which I've been watching very closely. Aaron was just here. He defended his title. He won the Global Rescue X-Red Rocks and was shredding and he was really sick. I was impressed that he was able to perform that well when he was so sick, but he, he, told us all about it. it his, he gave a presentation here and he told everybody about it. It sounds fantastic. You and I were just talking about it before we started recording. So wish you guys the best of luck with that. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, it, 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 it would be a, would be an honor for me if I can at some point interview you for the Vanderbird Hike and Fly podcast. That would be well, really Well, now you've cool. got all this professional yeah, gear. Like we got to put it to, to use, point. man. That's, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great one more time to get the chance to put this setup here because I didn't, I, I just did, I only did free podcasts so far for, for our podcast. So I have to get used to all this gear here, but then... Yeah, I'm, I'm sure this would be where, nice Where are you recordings. guys putting it out? Just for listeners of the mayhem here who may not be aware of it, where are you? Where do they find it? It's basically everywhere. Um, so we, it's on Spotify. Um, it's Apple, called the Vanderberg. Like all these channels, and yeah, you basically you put in a Vanderberg hike and fly podcast, and then we show cool. up. Well, well done. I'll, I'll I'll put it in my. Yeah. Thanks, 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 guys. If you if you listen to that, the first one was with Paul Takac and second one with a young guy who just started hike and fly um, racing at a Wonderbird event. And um, yeah, it's really cool, cool stories. And yeah, looking forward to do some more. Yeah, of cool. This. And of course, the third one now with Aaron talking all about uh, what Wonderbird actually is and what we want to do yeah, with cool. it. Yeah, cool. Well, it's some good vision there and it's neat to see it come to fruition and nice to have another platform other than the XFs. I mean, there's lots of hike and fly now all over the world, but it's, it's cool to see what you guys are doing. It's a really great concept of it's similar. I mean, ours is a three day race. It's a stage race, but it some, I think you and I and Aaron all share the same vision of, you know, we need something that's a building block and it's also something that's accessible to everybody, not just, the elite of the elite, which is really what the X-Alps is. And so it's, it's fun to see it happen. And it's fun to see so many people that are just getting into the sport, finding a love for it and exploring nature and being able to do it regardless really of their skill level yet. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the point is like over the years, and we will talk about what I have experienced in, in the next couple of minutes, I guess, with Hike and Fly. I've done, I don't know, like apart from the X-Alps, um, crossed the Alps multiple more times than, than just that. I think it's now 10 times that I went all across back and forth the Alps and then in also in the Himalaya and what, wherever. So, and, and what I figured out is like a successful Hike and Fly athlete or person who really who really can perform well is somebody who who is very much in the moment of what he does and be is able to you know not only exhaust himself to the the max and not being able you know to think clear anymore it's exactly the opposite it's like keeping this perfect balance with your body of being still there you know being able to see birds clouds feel the wind and all this still be hiking fast and then take a good decision of when is the right moment to take off and all this so this is is very much in tune with nature what we do here um compared to you know running a marathon on the road has nothing to do mm. with nature so it has only to do with your own limits maybe but nothing to do with the implementation of yourself in yeah. nature and this is this is the key and this is why i personally think hike and fly is just an amazing sport um of course not everybody in the world will probably fly at some point and maybe that's also good <laughs> but to promote the sport and and it's um it's uh, specifics and values and all this i think this is really important and it's a very good example for a thing where we in tune get in tune with nature again and i think it's a very mm. important thing yeah and it's yeah. i mean there's i love the saying that the in the exops what's so addictive about that and just hike and flies in general is the places you find yourself are just frequently totally absurd you, you just i would never be here if I was just roaming around or even just hike and fly, if I was just hiking and flying, I wouldn't be here because you're there at crazy times of the day and night and it just all the things that go together, especially with the weather, you just find yourself in remarkable places doing remarkable things. And like you said, you're, it, it is quite a unique, I mean, I, I don't know what other sport would be close to it. Maybe biathlon where you're, you know, you're going really hard. And then you've got to totally dial it really fast into a completely different, you know, you're, you've got to go flow state. You've got to turn the heart rate way down. You've got to be thinking and strategic and you can't just yeah, be grinding absolutely. it out. You know, you can't just go, go, go like you do in an Ironman or even a tour de France or something. You can't, yeah. that's not the game that's you, you'd fail miserably. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the point. It's ex exactly the point. And, be, and what you just said about the, the places you find yourself suddenly, you know, like at 9 p.m. landing after still being like just having flown an eight, nine, 10, 11 hours till I don't know, like, like things I can't yeah. even <laughs> like moments that I can't even describe right now. And what is it? Like, it's, it's this in the end, that's pure adventure. It means that you're in a space where you would never go to. Like in a normal you life, never, yeah, which like is the just, adventure definition but for you me. You can't you can't replicate it if you're not in a race <laughs> yeah, yeah, environment. You know, it's replicate. It's really yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's that you get like in you get a chance to get out of that comfort zone that you. It's so hard to live every day, and we are striving for 
safety all the time. Everything we build, everything we do is just like, let's not change anything <laughs> and then let's stay same. But then suddenly that, that is what happens. You're suddenly changing because you have to, and then you experience the craziest, coolest things yeah, ever. Absolutely. Well, you, you said it, you, you wouldn't be able to describe it, but now we're going to ask you to. <laughs> so your first was 2011. And you talked about this on one of our earlier, earlier podcasts. What I find so amusing about it is, you know, you really, you were more a mountain biker and professional athlete in mountain biking. And then you, you were pretty new at the paragliding side of things, you know, and, but you'd seen, you'd seen the race, I don't know if that was 2009 or seven, but you'd seen the race. Okay. I'm going to do this. But what cracks me up is, you know, you, you weren't the pilot that, uh, you know, you probably even should have been right. Do I have that right? In 2011, you talked about, you know, your experience level, you were fit, but your experience level from the flying side was what, just a couple of years, right? Or was it even that? So this, the comparison to this year's excerpts is the best actually to describe it. If with what I've been and this, uh, in my flying or where I've been in my flying in 2011, if I if if this would have been this kind of excerpts as we've seen it this year, I would probably maybe made you know like not becoming last but like second last. <laughs> <I> might have been <laughs> eliminated <laughs> because <laughs> I might have been eliminated. Probably eliminated. Because that's that's what it was. Like back then, I was a paragliding beginner, like absolute beginner compared to all these guys um, that were there. But I I prove I have proven before that I can you know do these standard cross country flights, two hundred kilometers plus. I was still young. I mean, I could I I was safe because I was a, a test pilot, but I was not able to fly in the Alps without like just like like that like we are flying now really like all day long in all these conditions being able to adjust to that so that has definitely changed i was able to fly back then i was safe but i was compared to the others um that was the difference i was really strong like i was really fast i was really strong i was really tough i was um just and also super dedicated so that was something i think the other guys mm. missed because paragliding pilots, there's nothing bad about paragliding pilots, but paragliding pilots are still paragliding pilots. And I came from a world where uh, eight hours of endurance training a day, five days a week, or let's say five to six hours was normal, you know, and there were not many paragliding pilots, or I would say at least in XRP Zero that would do that. Yeah, it was Tom and Kriegel both talked about that. I mean, even from my own experience, my first one in 2015, when I showed up to the pre-week in 2015, I could pretty much write off half of the people it, just from the fitness side. You could just look at them and go, okay, they are not trained, that they're going to start failing day six, day seven, day eight. And it's just not that game now. <laughs> it was, it's, yeah, it's a different, it's also a different kind of training. It's not training like you go and say, well, now I'm training for half a year or a year. And then you're yeah. fit, you know, fit to run up your local mountain in, in a good time. That's yeah. also fit, but it's not excerpts fit. Excerpts fit means there is years of building yeah. up this like strength and base. 
resistance and, and and that makes that makes it possible to perform like that in a race like 2011 like this year yeah. was different this year i mean everybody saw it we flew together for more than 1000 yeah. kilometers because this was not a very necessary part to be able to have this resistance uh, to go for 10 days or in 2011 it was 14 days the race was 14 days for i think not even 800 <laughs> kilometers and basically we ran the whole thing i did a lot of gliding so gliding was good crazy launches and all this but i was just able to to keep yeah. going yeah. all the time i was never stopping i never had problems i never had bliss i mean i had blisters but i never had blisters like other people had and i never suffered from these kind of things so that was why i became third in the red bull exceps 2011 out of nowhere <laughs> yes and of... were you you weren't a red bull athlete before the race right that's how you got with red bull correct because you you were third and everybody went what the yeah, hell yeah that Who was actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was not a Red Bull athlete. I was, I was good. I mean, I was uh, performing well in all these existing um, hike and fly races that have been that existed back then. Um, all these border race things where I like I won the overall class. I won the um, Red, uh, Red Bull Dolomitenman uh, paragliding category and all this. But that was mostly because I was just strong and I was very dedicated. Like if I I wanted to win something, I went really into the topic. Like for example, the Dolomitenman, I said, okay, why do people win this? Well, they run fast, but they can use any glider they can use. Back then, like you could just use any glider. So um, I was working for not even... I think half a year at Skywalk and I said to Arne, the boss of Skywalk, I need to build a glider for Dolomitenman. He said, yeah, what do you need? I said, I, I need an 11 square meter poison. <laughs> that was the E&D. <laughs> and he, I think he didn't even realize what I was doing. Anyway, we, we built this glider. I took it. I went to the race. I think I flew it once before and I won because I was just flying faster than all the right. other guys. And the weight balance. Well, anyway, we're getting off to topic, but that was how I got to the to the Red Bull Exarps. And then, actually, and this is some this is a topic that I'm talking a lot about in my talks, also that I give because it was a, a really, really ex first time um, decisive moment in my career to see what happens if you if you not follow your own like dream anymore which was back then was like, I want to be part of the Red Bull Exibes. I want to take part in this race. This was my absolute dream. And it wasn't like a always conscious dream of like, I have to do this and this now. It just happened because I wanted it. And I, I went, I got to become a test pilot. I became this and this and this. So things have just aligned in a way that I ended up after four years of paragliding in the Red oh, Bull Exibes. Wow. And then... Um, and then what happened was because I was good, Red Bull came in and my mind said, well, the only thing they could want from me is obviously that I win this race now. But for me, the story was totally different. What my, what I really wanted from my heart was taking part in the Red Bull Exeps, which I have already done. And that's it. So I was in a total conflict between, wow, what a cool chance to be a Red Bull athlete and getting all these possibilities, but then having the pressure. So the next edition 
was really tough for me. I, I became, I came in ninth, I think, in the end, in 2013. And I was really struggling all the time. It didn't feel as good as the first. It wasn't an adventure anymore. It was, it was a really tough time for me, this race. And... And and then I, I moved on in 2015. I was out of the crisis basically <laughs> again. But the reason was just um, that I understood, okay, what what everybody was fascinated about was that with, with the dedication and the goal of you want to go to the Alps, then it's possible to do it in only a very short period of time too. Like I could make it in four years. And this is actually the story that I'm telling is like, I can, you can go to, you can reach a goal in very short time if you really want this and if you really ride on the path. And then I, I had, I cha it changed and I was not on this path anymore. And then I had to change something again, which was like going to Alaska, doing all these adventures again, doing these things that I love to come back in 2015, like super relaxed, super strong again, you know, improved flying confidence and all that. Was, was the... So it sounds like was the the big difference was mental. You were still very fit going into 2013, but it was there was too much pressure. There was too much. Okay, well I didn't. I got third last time. Now I'm Red Bull. All this other stuff. All these opportunities, sponsors. That was just too much pressure to to place well to not yeah. have an adventure. Is that right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. This is right. This is right, and this is this is why I'm. Well, I'm so dedicated also to to sharing a lot more than just the the hard fact stories because it's all the mental mm. part, you know, like all this. <laughs> this is really interesting mm. for me to understand when do you perform well and how do you perceive your performance also? Because now in this year, I was third teams, I think, but I don't care. I, I had a super cool race. I was super happy with my performance. I didn't ever exhaust myself over the limit. I was just had good flights, you know, and if I'm, you know, second or first, I mean, first is something we don't talk about, right? Just <laughs> like it's a, this place doesn't exist for anybody else than just one person, but everything between second and and you know, fifteen or last or whatever is cool if you if you liked it like you did it. How have you? That's I mean, that's a really interesting thing. How have you made that change in yourself and embraced it? Because that's that's quite difficult to do. We all have egos, you know. We we you've you've tasted success really more than anybody in the, in the history of the race. You've had three or sorry four third places. You've been on the podium four times, which is remarkable. Uh, but how, how do you release that? I've next time I got to do better next time I got to place better next time I need the results. Is it age? Is it just because you've got the maturity now? Is it because you've got, uh, your kid? Is it, is it the risk? What is it? What, how, what have you been able to do there? Um, well, I can, I can, I definitely think to understand it. It took a lot of years, so age is definitely a matter here. But just as like there might be young people listening to this, and um, I can I can give this advice to to people any anyway is the, it all all starts with acceptance. You know, <laughs> like you you basically you just accept the fact that you like it in a different way or you like it the way mm. you like it and not and not the pressure from outside. Somebody tells you, well, you're only good. You, you're you only good when you're first. Well, you enjoy being doing an adventure there and not 
the goal is not to win only, but still you like, like in my case, for example, I like the, 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 um, shape of a race, like the, the, what a race gives you, you know, it's a little bit of extra pressure, it's other people and all that. And of course I want to be good, but I'm not the person hundred percent dedicated and I must win because otherwise I will not be happy. It's just mm. not like that. And I accept, I accept that and I accept what, what is there. And then I can start from there. I think this is how everything also personal development starts is with, okay, first of all, okay, this is what it is. <laughs> I cannot, I cannot start fighting. It's that's also how you, you can describe flow in a good way. It's like, water flows through the river or also like the air flows around the rock in our sense like it will not start fighting with the rock you know it will just flow around or something and that's it like you it will not go there and say no i'm not going to move on this because damn rock this rock is like really a damn rock and i'm so so i think i love this comparison and i think it's an important um, step and then from there you can still decide how your life needs to be to be happy with mm -hmm. your life I mean that's in the end <laughs> more important than struggling all the time because you're not first so 2013 and if you want I mean typically we've kind of shared a high and a low from each race and if, if something stands out from 2011 go for it and if not I think You've already kind of described 2011, and mostly it was it was running. You were super fit. You just went for it, and you had a really good race, right? But if you if you want to go more into it, go for it. Yeah, I, I had a I had a good yeah I had a good race. Um, I I can share one story, which is like the the most impressive story, and that also gave me a little bit of re more respect even back then, um, which which I liked in that in that way because. Um, well, first of all, we had only one supporter and back then my girlfriend was my supporter and that was by itself a crazy story because I remember her, you know, like I'm on the mountain. It was mostly raining. It was basically raining every day. And I remember one at one point being up there and waiting just for that little window when the rain calms down a little bit. I mean, we were flying every day in pouring rain. Like that one story comes to another now, but I remember that one moment when when I was on this mountain and I call her and and she's crying in the van because she cannot do anything and she's just so overwhelmed that she's like I'm going to sleep now I cannot stand this anymore just do whatever you want and and then I flew down and I remember exactly how how that was how that was going and the flat. And then I remember Kriegel saying, yeah, when there's so much water in your glider, a good thing is to, you know, like get break the glider. You cannot do that anymore now because the gliders behave differently, but go on the brakes. So the glider goes backwards. And then with that, with that speed, like all the water comes out <laughs> in the front. <laughs> you know, like, and I remember exactly on that day I did that. I broke, break the glider and then... <laughs> Like a waterfall comes down in front of me before the landing because that makes it safer. <laughs> the gliders were really different. I mean, we can we we can jump to 2019. I I I, I landed on the first day because of rain in the river, and that was a really really scary situation. Back then, the gliders were just made in a different way, and they were just flying in the rain, yeah. just fine. And now there's another challenge that is also. You can also handle it, but you have to handle it differently. Um, 
Anyway, that that is that is like that is the one story I can share from 2011, and then the other story which I wanted to start with was we we hiked up, um, we went to Dachstein, and then towards the main ridge of the Alps to towards Großglockner, which was a turn point, and it was a super fun day. And I mean, it was my first Alps, and I was together with Kriegel. I was first on the third on the second day, and we were hiking almost a hundred kilometers on the second day, I think like really far down Dachstein and then into that valley or was it 80 or 90? I mean, it was really far and we got up, um, and the next morning to this other side of the Alps and there was the South wind so strong. I have a video of this and I had it in one of my talks. Maybe, maybe you've seen it years ago. I don't know, but it was so, it was so strong that I basically like, I, not, not in my wildest dreams, I would think about taking off there. And I'm there with Kriegel and I'm just basically hiding from the wind. And and he stands there and looks around and then he like walks away 10 meters with Thomas Doria back then. And I see them talking a little bit and I, I'm just standing and sitting there with, with Sarah, my supporter, and we look and we can't believe that he takes out his glider and takes, takes off. Like it was... Like the most incredible thing I've seen, <laughs> really. <laughs> there is only one that, um, uh, situation that was that impressive. Um, I think of it, thinking of it now, and that was in 2019 when um, Patrick von Kehnel landed in a in a with this accelerated landing against like a li- in a little spot where it was hard to land. That was the same kind of impressive, next level yeah. kind of thing back then because he just implemented that but back then with Kriegel that was cool and I've, I haven't seen him again of course on the whole race because he was gone and he won with I think back then also with two days lead. Is that the one didn't Toma get second in 2011? Yeah because yeah. he basically Toma was, ran the whole Toma way was second, yeah. like you did I guess Mm-hmm yeah it was it was it was cool because in in 2011 there is it was still of course going to monaco the race and there is this last valley basically leading out to monaco it's about 100 kilometers and i um was was with toma in that valley (laughs) and we're i was in front of him because i flew over him in at in the evening i remember that (laughs) clearly into this valley is that the solo and solo valley yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Isola Isola Valley, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's Isola Valley, yeah. Exactly. And then and then I start running and suddenly Toma comes and he just <laughs> runs past me. And I'm like, Toma, it's still ninety kilometers. He doesn't even turn around, he just runs to goal and he's like five hours ahead of me running <laughs> to goal. Or because, or not even five hours because next day I flew to almost to the goal. Yeah, I almost flew to the goal. Yeah. I was just missing nine kilometers and he made it to goal just a couple of hours wow. before. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Yeah, what a beast. Cool to talk about this right now. It's, I'm I'm getting into all everyone these everyone I've talked to has night. said that. That's it's neat. It's cool to go back and, and relive these experiences. You think yeah. they're gone, but they're still up there somewhere. They're in the they're in your matter somewhere. Yeah, I can tell, maybe that's a good point. I, I share this also because in 2011, um, my expectations were I, I get to Mont Blanc maximum. Uh, that's all I can do right. probably. So my all my plans, all my preparation, and I've never been to Mont Blanc, never been past Mont Blanc in my life before. Wow. So 
um, that's how far I planned. And then suddenly I find myself at Mont Blanc in second, third position together with Thomas Kukunea. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do next? And then back then we didn't have these possibilities to, you know, have everything on the phone and just follow each other with just, you know, like you see the track live basically with two second delay now or one second delay and you just fly with the other guys. But back then we, what we did is we looked at the live tracking and we, we took a GPS and I told Sarah that she should um, try to redo the track of Kriegel in front of me and put it on my Garmin, which is like that big Garmin <laughs> thing. Big <laughs> and then all, all I did was follow Kriegel's line <laughs> without knowing what where I'm going or whatever. It's just like, okay, that must be the best option. And so, okay, he took off here, right? I called her like, did he take off here? Yeah, he took off here. Okay, I take off. <laughs> that was crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> okay so now 2013 i didn't know that that was such a hard mental year for you so but for those listening to just review it a little bit uh it was you guys had kind of a tailwind it was incredibly good weather especially for kriegel it started getting worse and worse for those behind him but until this year that was the record i think he finished in six days and something hours uh, way ahead of, of second place and then uh but i i remember the first it was down to the dockstein it was it was down the pinsgal up to uh the zugspitze then i get a little bit more foggy but the the weather was was really good and there was actually a east kind of a a, a light tailwind for the first few days and a lot of sun do i have mm-hmm. that right yeah that's right and the the problem was really i mean in my flying I wasn't much better than in 2011, you know, honestly. And also my glider was shit. It was really shit. <laughs> and I didn't feel good with it. And it, yeah, but I, it, I made it, you know, <laughs> I designed it. <laughs> and <laughs> I have to be honest that back then also, of course, at Skywalk, there was nobody helping in this sure. direction. It was, this you know, like really 2011, my glider was even worse. But it didn't matter that much because the weather wasn't good. So, <laughs> so in 2013, my glider wasn't good and it was very light, but it didn't fly well. And yeah, like you said, the weather was really good and there were a lot of really good pilots. And obviously, that threw me back from the beginning. I remember in Pinskau, um, I was washed down in the north wind, in the valley wind, um, at at this one pass there, and so. Then I was standing on the ground while everybody Kriegel was already flying to Zugspitze. That was more than a hundred kilometers further on the second, on the yeah. on this day on the right. second day. So that was really depressing. And and thinking of it in the end, um, that's another learning. Um, total over planning, like finding security in like finding security in planning, <laughs> no room for cre- creativity. This is what yeah. happens. If you, if you make really, really detailed plans and think that this and this will have to happen like that, there's no room for creativity. And that what happened is what happened mm-hmm. to me. Um, I, I knew, okay, I go up here, I glide to there, I go up there, I glide to there. And that's what mm-hmm. I did. Exactly, that's what I did. So the cross country was there, flying possibilities was there, 
but I didn't fly cross country. I just did hike and fly because that's how I planned it. And I was still fast, but of course, much more exhausting and much less, um, yeah, mm. speed. I, I yeah. can sympathize so much with that because that's exactly my experience in 2017. You know, uh, in 2015, I had no expectations. I had no idea where I belonged. Uh, I had, and so I just was going purely for the adventure. Just I didn't know if I was going to be eliminated or if I could do. I didn't care. It was just I was just in the exams. It was fantastic. And then when it went well, then of course the next year was all the pressure. It was all the okay. Well, if I plan more and strategize more, and and I wasn't open to the sky. I wasn't mm-hmm. open to the observations. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's 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 of course exactly the point. Like the more the more uh, freedom you have and you know you can re- rely on your skills and you can handle every kind of situation then you'll be able to you handle the situation according to what is given for you on that typical day but if you think no today the plan was to do that and that then you live like in a in a psychological way thinking you live in your head and not in mm. in the moment like you you're you're ahead of yourself or you're in uh, behind you're yourself not adapting, and not you're not here. you're not doing what you know yeah. what to do exactly you're fighting against who you are yeah and it, by the way this this also happened to me and I, um just as an example um I, I i chose to do one of the biggest challenges you can do uh, flying a, a Piper Super Cup, which is a single engine, small airplane that flies 130 kilometers per hour from Alaska to Patagonia. If you think of that challenge to plan it, you will have to give up the project because it's impossible to think of everywhere you will be landing to plan everything ahead. It's just impossible. So in the end, I came up with just, I think, four points that need to be safe. My airplane, my airplane skills basically my personal piloting skills money and and the goal <laughs> and that's it and then i can handle every situation that right. will come yeah basically leave it spontaneous you know, and maybe spanish that was another point <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and that's how it works it what works. was a what was a memorable really bad the worst time in the 2013 race was, was there was there something that stands out that's just man that day was brutal that's not a, it's not a, it was not actually not a um, day, like like flying thing. It was that my team, I did it with, with Sarah again um, and we could use a second supporter. That was the first time we were not supposed to only have one supporter and that was her brother and um, at some point she, she calls me in the race and says, yeah, um, Axel is really sick. He needs to go to the hospital. He has a lot of fe- he has a fever and he can't do anything anymore. And also, she doesn't feel well. And they didn't really communicate that with me before, so I I just knew when it was really oh, bad okay. already. And so my team was basically I had the feeling I was not I was not able I was not in touch with them. They tried to hide that from me, and so that connection wasn't good anymore. And basically, my team fell apart mm-hmm. a little bit. Of course, they they pulled through. You know, Sarah was really good. She she tried to help, but that was that was the, also besides being insecure. Also, this was a big issue, and I think that was 
the most memorable <laughs> worst moment when suddenly you hear like okay well my team is not there oh. anymore basically <laughs> <laughs> did he was he able to come back too or was it just sarah that was able to continue on uh no he he came back i think it wasn't that bad i don't i still don't know exactly what what yeah. happened there but <laughs> what it, what it what it really was but um just just too much pressure too much everything the the team thing well before we get to 2015 the team thing is really interesting to me it's really interesting especially for those of you who have done it a whole bunch of times because there seems to be you know aaron took a totally different approach this year he didn't want pilots on his team he didn't want anybody with any experience he wanted to make those decisions and just to shake it up you know he's felt like he's been close a bunch of times in the in the x alps but he's never really been able to have the race that he wants to have so he wanted to just totally shake it up but you know tom uh, very frequently has just completely changed his whole team and done it with somebody you know a, a whole new group of people what is your you know what's the for those listening who are maybe thinking about doing the x-ups for the first time what's the secret sauce there what what are you looking for in your own team after doing it all these times, what what works? What's yeah? I think I think since uh, since two thousand fifteen, um, I um have I have Werner, <laughs> Werner Stüttel, as my main supporter, and this is for me exactly what I'm what I'm looking for, and what it is is this dedication. I mean now, I mean we've done it so many times that of course now that gets also a little bit of you know like uh, we're getting older, we have other things to do, maybe <laughs> feeling to it. But, um, but this is like he, when he's, when we start this race, I can a hundred percent know that he wants us or me to move, being able to be able to move as fast as possible through the Alps. And that's our goal. And like, he would do everything for that. Like he, he, I can't even describe where I have, I would have to think of a, a situation where, where this shows, but like there, that you just need somebody that you can trust a hundred percent, and that can. Well, the main point probably is that he can put his own goals and his personal goals mm. aside, and just be your supporter because he thinks that that is the most important mm. thing in that time. That's very cool. And you guys had a bunch of experience together. And you cannot buy. Sorry to say that, but you cannot buy that with money. Yeah. It's impossible. Like this is not. This is like this amount maybe it exists and maybe maybe some athletes will have it at some point <laughs> this kind of money but um this is not this is also not what it should be it, it should be some it should be real dedication um yeah and that's i think really important 2015 2015 was was my first uh 2015 was dominated by very flyable weather, but a lot of wind. Uh, we had a ton of accidents that year. A lot of people had to withdraw. Toma, Tom, uh, Michael Gebhardt, others. Uh, a lot of headwind, a lot of pretty scary headwind. But you, it was the one you were pretty close to. You had a you had a race at the end with Kriegel that was radical. Uh, very very exciting. You actually, I think you got ahead of him at one point, right? And the, but it was a good it was a good year it was a good year for you it was it was very flyable for the most part we had a lot of sun we just had a lot of wind and if you remember we had three days in the beginning that were crazy hot you remember the 
unbelievable heat of the pro the hottest days and i you know i i pulled my first you and i were both in the top three in the prologues we had two night passes and i made the massive mistake of using my first one i think it was day three going into lermoose and about 10 o'clock at night it unleashed a storm i've never seen rain that heavy i was i was walking to lermoose on the pavement in a in a river it was just, it was about 10 inches deep. I thought, oh, this isn't a good time to use my night pass. This is horrible. But yeah, uh, it was a pretty interesting year. What, what are, what's a, what's something you remember, maybe a high and a low from the 2015 race? Well, the 2015 race was definitely my race. Like this was the, my Red Bull excerpts. If I could choose any of these Red Bull excerpts with it that I want to do again and, how it felt to me and how how it went. This was the race. Uh, the perfect team set up, you know, first time with Werner and the dedication that I described before, um, the friendship that evolved out of that. And then uh, also the glider I had was the best glider, I think, um, performance-wise. We were just that little bit ahead of everybody else with, with that technology change at Skywalk and... Um, it was still a three liner, but it was, it, it could have been a two liner. We just didn't dare to make it a two liner back then already. And it was just, um, it was just the perfect race for me, the perfect flow. You know, I, I remember flying, for example, um, to towards Locarno, but on the one valley to the north. I don't like, um, I don't remember the name of the pass right now there, but um, you know, Kriegel just ahead of us, um, ahead of me, maybe, maybe an hour or two hours ahead and super strong wind. And still, you know, I could just take off and keep up with him. I could, he was not, he was not getting away, you know, <laughs> and that was just cool. And I mean, now we get, we get, we all get closer to that, um, this year, this year's race, and he had a he had the same kind of difficulties he had back then with me, I think, and with with these um, difficult weather conditions, um, that was just right for me. I could I could just mm -hmm. handle it in that in mm -hmm. that year. And uh, a low point, you, you got to tell about your flight down and through Grenoble and all that stuff. That was that was pretty amazing, but it was. That was the year, right? I mean, you you kind of by the yeah. live track, and you got ahead of him, didn't you? At the end, um, I wasn't. I think I was. Well, I was ahead, but but way off route. <laughs> now, okay, now it now the stories come up again <laughs> here. Yeah, now good. That took a little bit. I was just now in the in the in the overall flow situation of how it went, but. Of course, there was this definitely this low point, and maybe that made it that exciting for me and that memorable too, because um, getting to Grenoble, getting to Annecy, which was a turn point, I I cut the corner like I did, I think, in two thousand thirteen already or in two thousand eleven. Well, that was in fifteen. So, or maybe no, that was the first time I did it. Another time, I think later on, but back then I I cut the corner basically around. I went to the south of uh, after Matterhorn, which nobody did before, and then went um, over the the small St. Bernhard bus, I think, and then came 
from the backside of Mont Blanc around Mont Blanc. And that was something that um, nobody has done before. And it, it actually works just amazing because the, the, the thought is, you know, in the morning you have this outflow of the valley and I took off on this pass and I glide just forever in the right direction. And I, it basically is like a present, you know, <laughs> you cut the corner and then you get this present in the morning of flying 20 kilometers in half an hour towards like where you want to go and and you you seem to be in the totally wrong spot at the wrong time but this just like that changes everything if you do a move like that and anyway that that made it possible that i could um fly inside the mountains earlier than kriegel could outside because he chose chose a line outside and um so he couldn't take off that early and i was already flying for two hours and then he had to leave on because otherwise i would have caught up with him and he just managed by an hour or something to fly away uh, before I came there and took off again. And what he did then, he flew into the high mountains. Actually, he changed the, the system again because first I was in the high mountains and he, was in the, and, and he was in the lower mountains. And then he flew into the high mountains. I thought, well, I mean, there is this perfect line. And I was actually influenced by, by Clément Latour from 2013 who did this line. He's a local there and he flew outside. He came second in 2013 and he flew on that good on one of those good days he flew very much on the outside like around um, down through St. Hilaire and um, all the yeah west exactly west. and on yeah exactly and on there and and so in 2015 I thought well this I remember this line and and, and I saw Kriegel going in there well perfect I just go I just go there and I will have a chance to fight with him um, because on the same line, I thought, well, I will not be able to mm -hmm. catch him, you know, which in hindsight, that is a, that was the mistake, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> because, um, is hindsight yeah. the right yeah, word? I mean, back. this is just, okay. Looking back. Yeah. So, so what I did, I flew in those mountains and it was working really, really well. And as you said, I was even like looking just on the tracks, I even caught up with him. And I was in front and then suddenly like everything switched and the wind got super, super strong and I was scared to death <laughs> being blown around like a leaf in the flatlands, having basically no way of trying, of, of even sticking to my path. I was just like blown out into the, into the flatlands and I was really like, okay, I just want to land and not die it got really bad and the next day um also i have i remember that really well because i did a lot of talks and there's this this situation of we have this one clip in there and like the the leaves are just flying and the, the wind is blowing and i i had no chance to fly anymore out there i was just outside and um so on that day before when this happened i was obviously in the second position or fighting for the first one. And then on that one day, I was basically stuck. And this we, we had an advantage of one day. I was in front, or Kriegel and I were in front, one day, a full day, in front of um, uh, the German guy, I, I forgot his name, who came second then. Um, 
and then all the other group of Aaron and Antoine, um, Gaspard, Antoine, and Gaspar. Exactly. So obviously, these other guys were flying in the mountains and they were catching up really quick. Like on that one day, I went from being having a chance to win. Um, a little bit of a chance maybe i mean it's pretty yeah. right <laughs> we know that but um there was a little bit of a chance to i'm sixth now um and there was more than a day of a of a gap between so we were fighting we were basically making one day of head of ahead of being ahead and then losing it within one day um so i was basically like on the like on the position, <laughs> I mean, I moved forward, but anyway, so I was, I was fighting really hard to get, um, to a good point and, um, actually, uh, yeah, you know, being on the mountain next to all these other guys, you know, just, um, just so Kriegel and, and one more guy were in gold. So, but place three, four, five, six were still possible. And although, um, I was taking a night pass and I was, walking like really all night to get to this takeoff in the morning at like nine I, w I wanted to be there and I did I never slept more than I think we did a rhythm of like 15 to 20 minutes and then hike again till 10 kilometers mm -hmm. and then 15 to 20 minutes and we pulled it off and the next day I remember um taking off and being able to just deliver my flight and this is why maybe this exercise was so memorable for me because even after all this, I, I didn't get distracted from these other guys. I just flew down to like three or four kilometers um, before pay, before goal. And in, in like, I think 10 or 15 kilometers before goal, you know, you get out to, into the sea breeze there and I remember Aaron being next to me and just he sees the goal and he's like okay now the final glide starts and he's like <laughs> and he just lands there. that was really funny I have to talk about that with him at some point but he just lands and then and then obviously he starts running and if you want to do it flying wise you really have to fly patiently you have to find your way through that headwind and i did all that and just a few kilometers before goal i remember that um my supporters told me you know Aaron is running running like crazy but you can't you can't measure this because the the roads go like really windy so it, he actually had still uh, 4 hours of work ahead of him but it looked like he yeah. he caught yeah. me now and so they called me and then they they kind of made me a little bit crazy so i took a wrong decision in the end and i landed in a thorn bush you know like really long thorns and i had one in my leg you know we pulled it out Stop afterwards and my glider was stuck in this and i even have a, a helicopter video of this because it was obviously just two or three kilometers four kilometers air distance from the goal but anyway i had to pull this glider out and i could have flown the goal for sure if i just take more time but anyway they go totally crazy and say yeah now you have to run and you have to run and my, my backpack that was also the year when a week before the race i i'm 
saw my own backpack, super lightweight. Like it was, it was just like paper thin, like the, the 27 gram material I took the whole, and it was just falling apart. So we basically <laughs> put a, a piece tape. of rope around, <laughs> truck the wrap around the rope so I can have it on my back. First, I was just carrying like that, but on my, in my hand, but then we figured out because of these, all these turns, it's still seven or eight kilometers to go and not just free like on the direct line. <laughs> so we started, okay, we need to pack this up and we, the backpack all broken apart. And anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm running like crazy to go and make third place. Although all these competition, um, just came up in the last day because of that one mistake of getting into the exposure of this crazy wind. Wow, crazy. Uh, Down and up at the same time. I mean, I remember, I don't think people appreciate those roads down there. I I remember I I had tried so hard to get ahead of Ferdy because I thought I really was ahead of Ferdy the day before and I got caught in this crazy wind. You and I talked about it in in Monaco the, the night I got in and I was really as close that I've ever come to dying paragliding. I really thought I was going to die. And, uh, okay. and then, and so when I landed crashed more or less, uh, you know, uh, Holy cow, I'm okay. I thought we had really bad cell. This was back in VARS. And I thought that Ferdy and Nick were so far behind. And the last report I'd gotten was that they were both on the ground. So I, okay, it's, I can rest. I'll launch again when the wind backs off and everything will be fine. Well, he flew over my head. And I was so angry about it that I was just convinced I could get them. And, I, you know, the Asolo Valley you're talking about, I flew, I landed at 8.59. I had this amazing flight, but I was still 19K behind them. And I, in my mind, I thought, I, I'll run, I'll get them, I'll get them. And of course I did it. Yeah. But the next day we learned about this little launch that was just across from Pei, one of those ridges that goes, that's facing south towards the Med. And I flew and I, it was terrible. I was so exhausted. I couldn't make it work. And I just bombed out. And when I bombed out, it was, you know, on the live tracking, I was 3K away from pay. But the walk was 14K <laughs> and 3,000 feet of yeah. gain. And I just started crying. I thought, it's not possible. It's right there. I can see the fucking thing. It's not possible. It's yeah. so and it's super oh, hot it's and it's degrees, 40 degrees Celsius. And, the and like this, it was just, no, it's not possible. Yeah. No, no, this, this area is a struggle, but it, it was like really now how it is right now. The race is also fine, but this was a special thing, you know, going to Monaco and having this final challenge of all these bushes where you cannot land, where you cannot take off, where it's super hot, where the, the roads are like like you said like 10 kilometers for a two kilometer distance straight line distance and stuff like that it was a really cool part of yeah this it was race. tough i mean it was it, it was always fascinating walk looking at the track logs of how kriegel would do that swim upstream thing down there it was you know just consistently he'd fly in there and it was that's a rough go i had this yeah in the in 2000 in 2011 um that was, I mean, in 2009, he was the first one to really fly to goal. That was something people were talking about that afterwards. Like, how how did he do it? This is impossible. Everybody thought it's impossible to fly against the sea breeze to go yeah. to the sea. It's yeah. not possible. And then he tried to explain that, you know, we talked about it and he said, yeah, well, you're, 
you're basically just finding that line where where it's lee side but it's it's possible because of the thermals and you that's the line you have to take and he just figured yeah. it out you know like he just does, didn't expose himself to the wind to the headwind he just flew where it's just lift and not headwind <laughs> and and this is this is what we learned over the years like the flying has improved in that way yeah. a lot like things like that the imagination we have or at least that's how i see it has changed from okay there's a head when it's not possible to okay which way can i go to make it possible where is that where is it possible and it is possible there's always a there's always a way we just have to figure it out and this will develop more we'll get better in this kind of way of flying it doesn't it shows also, of course, in in further flights, but it's it's a it's also a different way of flying. This kind of cross country flying, in in areas that you don't know, with winds that you cannot see. It's just like it's a development, like towards becoming more like a bird, but of course being really far away from <laughs> it. But but still, you know. And this is this is what Kriegel did ten years ago yeah. already. So of course he's yeah. ahead. Still, he's still ahead, but he understood back then what we understand yeah, now. Yeah, this this is a good segue to 2017 because I remember he he that was his whole principle there. I learned in 2015 at the media event, sitting next to him at the hangar, that he didn't scout, and I thought that was because I I would I had been there for a month and a half scouting, and and I said, wow, really, you don't you don't scout? And he said, no, because the race is different when we start in a week than it was back in May. It's not the same. The conditions aren't the same. And I don't want to have any preconceived notions about what works versus what doesn't. And in 2017, he's, he didn't scout. He never does. And, and he was, but he asked a lot of the athletes who had scouted about the Garda turn point. How do we get to the Garda turn point? And everybody told him it's impossible. You can't do it. There's too much wind coming off the flats from Venice. It's, it's always south. We're going dead south. It can't be done. And then, of course, he did it. <laughs> you know, because he yeah. just didn't want to. Yeah, because that's it's actually what we said before. It's exactly what we said before. Now described in Kriegel's words, you don't want to be, you don't, you don't, you want to be, be free, free in your head for all yeah. the possibilities and being able to perceive the moment and not being saying, you know, it's not possible anyway. And your head keeps telling you it's not possible, it's not possible. And then you're not even able to see what the chances that, that are there. That is that is all. That is it. And if we learn more and more about that, then we can... Like, the best example for me is like you, you for example, checking the weather. I check the weather in the morning to see, to take a decision, do I go up the mountain or not? But once I'm up the mountain and once I'm flying, really, I mean, of course, in... Ex some weather changes might be interesting to know, but in general, I don't need to check the weather anymore because I, I see everything. I see any change. I see clouds developing. I see every, if I know that there is, if, if my supporter tells me, okay, the weather says there is going to be a thunderstorm at this and this time and this and this location, my whole thing will change to the negative yeah. for sure, because I will be, Always in my head, you know, there will be a thunderstorm. This is dangerous. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop, 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 stop. But if I'm just flying there and I see a big cloud developing, I can still take the decision, well, this cloud is too big for me. 
and then I land, yeah. <laughs> you know, or I feel a headwind or even, even a, a, a gust front, even with that, you can, you can, you feel mm. it. It's, it's going to be there and you will be able to feel it. And then you can take, you can mm. do something in that moment. And that's of course, super fast changes. I don't say everybody should do that because you need to be able to react really fast and take the right decision really quickly. That is a matter of experience, but, but being always preconceived, mm -hmm. I think that's the right word, um, with everything and, you know, being, you know, this could happen and this could happen is basically fear. Then it's fear-based and fear, what is fear? Fear is always just a thought. Yeah. So <laughs> you're thinking of it and then it, it that's not a, that's not a positive um, way of, mm. of thinking yeah. out of fear. 2017, just to review, so people, it was much different weather than 2015, uh, especially early. There was a lot of thunderstorms, a lot of cloud, a lot. I can't remember if the fern was really bad that year. Uh, I don't remember, but I remember a lot of thunderstorms. Only two people made it in, although you were basically on the beach. You had another really good race in third. This was the first time we really saw you know, Benoit's incredibly fast ability on the ground. And we had that, that crazy blow out of the mountains that Kriegel had, you know, he was going a hundred and something kilometers an hour, getting blown out into the flats into the Italian flats. So the end was brutal, uh, especially for those in the lead, which was interesting for those in the back. It was kind of one of the first times where you could, you know, the weather in, in some sense was, was worse for you guys out front. Once you got to, Matterhorn because it was so windy and it was it was pretty pretty tough flying those last couple of days. But do you you have a recollection of of a great memory and a you know a good day a bad day kind of thing? It's good. It's good that you just summed up the whole race a little bit because <laughs> you said 2017. What happened? I was like, what? I don't. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> wasn't 2017 no the idea. day you you but, took the Southern Lakes route? That's where you crushed it, right? That was yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Exactly. That yeah. was awesome. That was that was there was a lot of good things in 2017. But um let's start with the bad or not with the bad, uh, with a learning process. I I I chose to go um because I know that I'm I'm not a very structured person. I like to be, you know, in I call it in my flow and being able to you know, just navigate my life and everything like I wanted. But I, I thought I need somebody in my team who puts a lot of, gets a lot of structure in there. And so I, I put that, I had that person with me. Um, and that made, that, that made a good learning, you know, again, for, you know, you cannot, you cannot plan, you cannot plan. Like you said before, you cannot plan everything. That's what he did. And we, and that was another step towards, I need even more freedom, you know, oh, okay. I need even more freedom in my races. Um, but that's just, a, that's just one point. Um, on the other hand, um, I managed a good compromise in planning and still being able and free to, to decide on a point. So, so it was, it was a very intense learning race, a very, a change, a changing kind of race. So 15 was kind of my race surprisingly well, you know, back from 13, where there was the low point, finding the freedom again by, you know, going my way, which was actually going to Alaska and flying an airplane and going in full adventure mode. And and then having a good race in 2015. And um, 
in 2017, yeah, the field became really strong. Lots of young guys. Simon Oberana was there for the for first time, for example, and um, really strong flying and a good back and forth for me um, in the race. And in and then we came down to where also a decisive part of the race this year was happening. That's Lake Como and Lago Maggiore or Lago di Como, Lago Maggiore, very big races, uh, uh, big lakes, sorry. Um, and I decided on a, on a non-thermal day to go straight over the lakes, basically, uh, which allowed me to do hike and fly, you know, hike up, fly over the lake, fly up, fly over the lake. And like that, I came from a position, I think like, somewhere in the top 10 to the third possession, I think, if I remember that right. Um, and and that was cool because the other guys were in in the um, in a valley, Sondrio Valley, where you can just run. Because just as a as a as a little ca calculation thing, like you can run up a thousand meters and glide 10 kilometers in the same time basically that you can run, run 10 yeah. kilometers in the yeah. flat. <laughs> so so there's no point in a straight valley with just mountains on the side to hike up uh, a mountain and then fly. I mean, you can do it for fun, but it will not give you an advantage except if you get a little bit of a, a thermal or something. And, and so that the point is you always need a mountain in front of you that you can go up straight in the direction you want to go to and then fly down in the direction you want to fly to. Then it then it's an advantage again. And I chose that line that was like that. So I could always hike up a mountain in the direction I wanted to go and then fly. And that and that how that's how I got a little bit of an advantage again. So that was cool. I have a nice video on my, a nice vlog of that excerpts on my YouTube channel. I think it's called Lake Hopping. <laughs> if you want to look for it on YouTube on my channel, and that that is that you had a great vlog. You did a vlog every day of that race, mm -hmm. and they're amazing. I, I saw your talk here when you were in Sun Valley, and you showed a lot of that. It was just beautiful. But that did that did that lakes move? Was that something that just occurred to you on the spot, or was that something you had in your back pocket thinking? Before Beforehand. Yeah, that's what I had okay. in my back pocket. This is what I wanted to say. So it was a good mixture between having those plans in my back pocket and knowing, okay, if the chance is there, I will be able to do it. And that's what happened there. And compared to, like I said, 2013, when I only had these plans and I wasn't able to say, okay, today is a different day. I don't gotcha. need the plan. I just go yep. like it comes. And then two more interesting stories there. I think in 2017, was when when we came towards the Matohan turn point from the south. Um, yeah, that was that was interesting because there was a lot of north wind. I remember that, and like you said, the wind was getting really strong. And I remember for the first time, take being able to do what what we do now. Like I described it before, the first time being on the on the. Uh, on the most um, inside part of the Matohan Valley of the um, from mm -hmm. the south, uh, what's it called? Search, Not the but sea. the other one. Yeah, yeah. Sir, Sir or <laughs> I'm so like bad that. with names. Corval, Corval. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. South side of the Matterhorn. Yeah, it will come. It will come anyway. I'm all the way tucked into the big mountains there, coming from the east, and the turn point was put in a way so it was a little bit in the middle of the valley and so my plan was to go to the turn point and then just fly out and 
and it wasn't possible. I would have landed if I go just straight to the turn point. So what I did and that, and that was really the experience and the, and the, the development of my own flying style. I went there and I crossed to the other side of the valley all the way away from where I wanted to go. I wanted to go basically south, but I had to go northwest to be able to be in the lee side, to find a thermal there and fly out the valley in the thermal line. And this was a, a really, like for me personally, a changing point. As I said, Kriegel did this in 2011 already and in 2009. And also, um, yeah, yeah, he... That's that was why he's so good, you know. He's that one step ahead. But I remember really clearly that day when when I took that decision. Okay, now I need to go with the flow of the air. The flow of the air goes that direction. I take that and then I fly out and I make it to the point I want to go to, but in a total like roundabout way, going around, you know, like twenty kilometers more, but still going there, and. And so that was was really amazing, and I remember that moment really well. Although maybe you know it was not for any for the outside viewer or for anybody it was probably not that special, mm. but for me it got really stuck stuck it stuck with me. And and then of course comes this flat part where the fastest line was just a hundred kilometer run, and I remember exactly it was the same day of what of the story that I just told you. I land in the flat after a good day. And um, really land like also like five minutes to nine, like perfect timing, perfect glide, 20 kilometer evening glide out into the flat. And I land and then um, my supporter comes and says, well, now it's 100 kilometer to your next takeoff. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to sleep now and then, no, it's a hundred kilometer to your next takeoff. <laughs> and so, yeah, we make a plan, night pass, everybody takes the night pass and we run, you know, like what I always do is like make a real a plan, like 10 kilometers of running, 10 to 20 minutes of break. And that move, that goes on and on and on. And that's, that's how you get through and then you will be there. And <laughs> well, that's also no an interesting story. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit secret story. But anyway, we get up to um, that one pass, like leading again over the mountain because we cross, we go across and then we have to go over the Alps again one more time to go to Monaco, basically. And there's a long pass leading up there. And um, Kriegel took the same way and also Benoit, um, was already there um, that day in the morning, so he already flew to goal, and and I was in third position, and I was really really tired. And back then we we started trying, you know, different things. For example, Ayurvedic stuff, you know, so so food changed, like and some oils, you know. Every day I get some Ayurvedic oils on my body, and so calm down. And, and for me, it worked really well. So I had really good experience with that. But there was this. <laughs> <laughs> this girl with me besides um um my girlfriend back then and as a supporter and they took care of this kind of stuff and she was like yeah let's try this maybe this makes it better we put some of this oil in Paul's ears and so she puts Whoa. the oil in my ear and I get totally <laughs> like I was <laughs> It's a strange story. I've never told this story to anybody. And so I hike after like being already totally in a delirium. The delirium gets really, really bad. And I'm just like, oh, 
hiking, hiking, I don't see anything anymore. And I'm like, no. <laughs> totally bad. And then just like, like t we were planning to still make an evening flight from the pass towards Monaco and then run again over the night. So I hike up the, the pass and it gets really late and we're like, okay, I will not be up there before five or six in the evening. So well, motivation is really low. And I remember... I go and I stop and I, I want to pee and I pee and then boom, total clearness, like like the clear like the clearest vision of the world again. I'm totally there. <laughs> it was I don't know, such a weird experience. Wow. But um I still don't know what kind of oil it was. It was like a some Ayurvedic oil with some mushroom like oil. um <laughs> mushroom oil, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that was. I have to to figure it out. But that was impressive. And then I was totally fit. And I run up the last 1,000 meters to the takeoff and and take off. And I start soaring around. And I'm like, okay, it's not gonna work. Like I'm I'm flying against the valley breeze. I'm gonna land straight on the bottom of the pass. And I see my supporters driving away down the pass on the on the side of Monaco and I'm like, well, it's not going to work anyway. I top land and I top land and I instantly fall asleep <laughs> on top of that pass. <laughs> and they're like, what is happening? Where is he? So they come back and then it was like seven or something. I get into the van, fall asleep right away. Like They take me in the van. I, I eat something and I sleep until five in the morning when we can start hiking again and and this guy i took with me i started before talking about him he was very structured and he had this plan ready and if we had only time till 11 a.m that the, the limit was 11 a.m then the race yeah. was cut off so i had i had there was another 100 kilometers to go and basically i had time to 11 till 11 or 80 kilometers to go or something and he made a perfect plan. You know, you have to run from 5 a.m. to this point. Then you glide down, you run again. I think the plan was involving 4,000 vertical meters. And I don't know, X kilometers of running. And I say, you know, you know what? It doesn't mean that much. <laughs> I don't want to say the F yeah, word. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> F you. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. And then something really cool, really, really cool happened because I, I start hiking at six, you know, taking it easy, looking at the uh, at Google Earth. And I found this, this mountain with a slope facing north because it was very strong north wind, of course, in the morning outflow mm -hmm. of the mountains, you know, and then a north fern situation implemented itself. So I'm on this place and at 7.30 or something or 8 7.38, I take off and I soar and I basically soar and soar and soar and I keep soaring towards Monaco in the morning at 7.30. Wow. <laughs> and by 10, by 10, the thermals start kicking in and everything turns around and I get it midair. I'm soaring, switching to the south sides, taking the thermals and at 11... When the when the when the cutoff is there, they tell me, okay, my supporters told me, okay, because of some festival in Monaco, there is an airspace and the one and some kind of launch is closed or something. Something like that was going on. And I'm like, you know, guys, <laughs> F that. <laughs> I'm just gonna land on the beach and I made it to the sea. You know, the slogan of the Red Bull Exeps is glacier yeah. to sea. And for me, this was the 
perfect experience Amazing. like i knew i flew from i flew almost 100 kilometers from 7 in the morning till 11 oh and land God, on the beach what an it was ending. for sure one of the most most impressive flights of my life and i think like this is this is what is possible. That's this is amazing. what is possible. You can go and use that flow of air that changes all the time and you can be there and just use whatever is there and make it make it till 11 from the highest points of the mountains wow. to the sea. Super, Super cool. cool. Of course, the rewards were like, he didn't make it, you know, we didn't fight enough, whatever. I landed on the beach. Yeah, I was happy. That's, that's a, man, that's an awesome ending. Fantastic. Okay, 2019. Yeah. That's thinking of it now, really cool. Thanks for reminding yeah, me of was, this. That was, <laughs> I haven't thought about that, that for cool. a while. That was not the, the ending I had. I was uh, I ran a marathon the night before and the next morning just to stay ahead to get 13th or something. Just, what am I doing? This is so stupid. <laughs> but uh, So the 2019 was an interesting year. It was... I in all my XOPS experience, there was no radical weather. I know there were some. I know that I, I heard a story from Eduardo that he was in a pretty bad gust front, and uh, you know there were certain. There's always some bad weather, but I, I don't remember ever walking up anything and not being able to just instantly launch. The 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 in some ways the race was defined by the crazy stability and heat of the last few days where. You know, tons of people top landed Mont Blanc. I think uh, Toma got to 6,000 something meters around Montevisa, which was one of the turn points. So it was it was a pretty interesting race. Uh, and the last one that went to Monaco. Yeah, that was I remember that really well that day when the, the high cloud base was there. Um, things developed, the sport developed. Patrick von Kenel was also there. You know, young people that fly really, really well, that have different style, mm, suddenly appear and and they are there. You know, we are all there together around Mount Viso, a group of, you know, six or I don't remember, but, but a lot of people flying <laughs> after all these days very close to Monaco together. And... um I the day before I remember I had a really really good and but very tough flight against very very strong south wind um out of Briançon I think to to Briançon there from the pass out like I I remember I've never I think I've since then never been fighting that much against wind flying against wind that was my most impressive flight against wind for myself you know like always pushing full speed bar getting around the corner soaring up pushing again very impressive very cool for myself like my my personal feeling and that put me I think in 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 the third position again or something so I I felt quite comfortable of being of having pushed that way and we get to Mont Viso turn point and i remember going up to that pass and then that the radius was just there so i think okay i'm just gonna soar up fly to the radius and come back but what i didn't get what i didn't understand or just i didn't have in my overview of things was that by flying over this pass to the other side into the radius i was I was um overflying or changing the side of the the alps like i was basically going from the north side of the main ridge or the west side of the main ridge of the Alps to the east side of the main ridge of the Alps. And this always involves 
a change. Like any, every time there is different air mass on the one side, on the other side, there's always um, different kind of flying situation. And so um, when I was, I, so I was back down, I was down there suddenly and the other guys, they went one valley um, more to the, to the east or north, but they stayed on the on the west side of the main ridge of the Alps and tagged the turn point from there, all flying. So I messed up again, which is kind of a standard in my, I don't know what, like I like it that way. Or I said before, acceptance is the first point <laughs> to be happy, I think. So I have to accept that this is the rhythm I take. And so I'm in the leading position and suddenly everybody flies past me again. And I have to walk midday to over the pass, basically back to the other side of the Alps. And the other guy is up at 4,500 meters or something flying above me. But I didn't really understand that it's that kind of a day. It was still not, I couldn't still figure it out because on the ground it was super strong, super windy. And I needed to find a takeoff. And I took off and I, flying, I was flying out a little narrow valley and there was no way to make it out. And suddenly I look up and I see these little, little dots above me flying over me. And I'm like, fuck, this is not like, I thought it's unflyable that day. It was super strong wind in the valleys. And I say, okay, I have to get into the air. So I hike up on the really, like the most sun exposed side on the valley side. And I say, okay, my, there's only one goal right now is to make altitude, to get up as high as possible and I start turning 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 and it goes up and up and up <laughs> and I'm at 4,000 meters and I'm like okay my we have this skywalk harnesses have this air protection you know and because of the less pressure outside pressure this thing blows itself up and I'm like sitting what? in there with my back like that <laughs> and like okay I must be really high I get really scared because I think this thing is gonna explode and and <laughs> super crazy situation and I remember so like somewhere around 4,500 meters I say okay it's enough like there's no point in going higher and like you said Toma that day he went he super high and I said it's enough it doesn't it doesn't help anymore because there was then there was a lot of wind also at this altitude so the balance between okay I get blown in the wrong direction and then have to make it against the wind anyway so anyway I, I said okay well I go and I catch up with these guys again. And in the evening, actually, I'm, I land uh, with Patrick von Kennel. He's already there. And all these guys are just around me. And it's really cool. And we get to basically, again, the last turn point, which was um, one of those mountains on the outside. Yeah, there, south of like Barcelona. Yeah, I forget I what the, that term, white mountain. Yeah, south of Barcelona. White. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, in the evening, I did a really, really strong push up that mountain and, and I fly down on the other side, no idea where, where all the other guys are. And I land and I land right next to Benoit on the road. (laughs) Oh, cool. What are you doing here? (laughs) And so we, from that moment on, we basically, we're together and we're like, okay, well, let's, let's see what happens, you know, the next day, let's try to make it to Monaco. 
and <clears throat> we hike in the morning and you know everybody looks at each other what is he planning you know what are we actually racing here are we doing this together and it's like <laughs> and are we sharing our ideas or not and and anyway we take off and he knows that area really well he's from this location yeah. there um, and he knows every mountain, he has a really good plan. And I say, well, I, I try to follow you. And of course he pushes. And I had a problem with my glider. I had a, a cut in my glider. So whenever I used the accelerator, it wasn't flying well anymore. I lost like one or two glide yeah. points. Um, not points, but like yeah. total numbers. I was really like, just like going down. So I couldn't keep up with him. So we had to fix that. I figured it out that sometimes we put some tape on it with my supporters on the way. And so anyway, we, we raced together and we did a couple of hike and flies because as you said, it was stable. And, and then we made it on a cliff launch, really, really cliff launch. We took off. I remember that really well. And everybody thought we were crazy, but we, we made it out and we flew thermal wise really really well i think to almost 30 just 30 kilometers that's my memory now but i have no idea about the concrete correct numbers towards the goal and it's it's second of um uh, it's about uh, so uh, about the third place you know we're fighting for the third place i, I think who was who was second I, who was I was just i knew you were gonna ask me that but anyway <laughs> let's keep on with the story <laughs> so we we were actually fighting for third place <clears throat> and and i i see him because he knows it's always like like we come back to the same point here you know you know something and you think it has to be like that again and i see him landing there in front of me on a big flat plateau and he lands and and I come behind him and I, I understand I could go up in thermals higher and fly just over him and I see him in front of me landing and I'm like well why is he landing he must have a reason to land so I land with him <laughs> because I didn't know where I am I have no idea what's the best ways and he must know some secret or maybe I didn't see an airspace or whatever so I land with him and we, we run and at some point we look at each other and say, well, this is stupid. You know, <laughs> we basically, after, I don't know how many days we're trying to race each other on this and let's just, let's just try to get to goal and not be caught up by the other guys from behind because they were pushing also. They were really yeah. coming close. As I said before, the last, the day before we were all together in the evening. But, um, and then we said, okay, let's do this together. And from there on, we were, we were really, he was showing me the takeoffs. We were gliding together. We were doing crazy things together, really, and pushing really hard. And we decide on the way to the goal, even if, if the organizers will try to make this different, we're going to go basically arm in arm and sign with at the same time so that they cannot say anything and we will share the fair place. And that's what we did. And that was one of the best sporting experiences for me, for sure, because there was just this, this free, this freedom of like leaving behind the stress of the race and just doing this adventure together. Yeah. And that was end. a very was really cool. memorable really cool. point in the, in the history of the race was the sportsmanship and the look on your guys' faces. You're both sunburned. And I just looked at that, that, that was a great we way to that. It was a beautiful <laughs> moment in sport, not just the XFs, just in sport in general. Okay. Geez, you've done a lot of these. Uh, 21. That was my last one. And the 21 was, let's see, I, I can't even remember it now. 21 was fiercely bad weather. 
in a lot of places, uh, a ton of fern, uh, a lot of very stormy conditions, a lot of reports of several accidents, uh, but also a lot of reports of just hairy flying. Uh, I know that I myself had some flights that were really very borderline. Uh, but, and then once again, I think this was the first year that Kriegel really had a run for his money, uh, you know, at least up through day seven, where, you know, that kind of top 10 was really moving around a ton. And then Kriegel did just an unreal magic move at the end. It took a very different line and, and left everybody in the dust. But uh, you had a, a another very cool experience. I remember your video at one point, one of my funnest videos I've seen in the X house was you and you're, you're doing this, you know, to the camera talk. I think you're up somewhere around the backside of Mont Blanc and you say, yeah, so the weather this way looks pretty good, but unfortunately, and you turn it around, <laughs> unfortunately I got to go that way and it looks really bad. <laughs> that was a great video. Yeah, it's cool that you it's cool that you remember that <laughs> because yeah, that was that was kind of kind of a not a good situation because I was up at three thousand meters and it was nine p.m. and so it involved some like a, not a very good trail and anyway, but that was just a, that was a, of course an exciting moment. But I think the really 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 big thing about the two thousand eleven uh, two thousand twenty one except for me was that I broke my mm -hmm. foot in in march i think or april may june yeah i think just like like the minimum amount of time before the race that even just the bone could heal in theory according mm -hmm. to the doctors and um so i was in a really good training period i was pushing really hard and I, I wanted to, because of that, because I wanted to do everything right, I was working also with a, with a coach and he said, well, yeah, I called, I remember I called him that day and I said, well, it's, it's already late and I'm tired, but he said, yeah, well, if you could still do a little bit of that, uh, of training, that would be good. Just hike up that. And it was fresh snow and I hike up my classic ski tour and I ski down and it was totally foggy and I didn't see a cliff. And I fell over the cliff and and hit a, hit my on my land on my foot without knowing where the the ground will be. So I was just free fall and and it broke, and it broke my carbon ski boot in two pieces. Like it was really big impact, and that was like okay, I'm not gonna be able to take part in this race. Um, really down, but a lot of good preparation, good uh, physiotherapy, and I think. Yeah, I don't know. One week or two weeks before the race, we decide. Okay, let's let's do it. Could be that after one day we'll be out of the race, or after two days, and um, that would be okay. Um, and we're just gonna do this in the way that is possible. And it was the first time that I I did this race basically without physical preparation. I was not physically prepared. I could not do anything. Like for eight weeks before the race, I was not able to do anything. Just the week before the race, I took my, my backpack and I hiked up 
like 500 meters and flew down. <laughs> okay, done. <laughs> and we get to the race, and um, and the the, the 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 of course the the strategy was to fly, like really fly, like whenever it's possible, fly and just hike upwards because that's what I can do well, usually just from experience. And and then surprisingly, the race was really good, but I couldn't. I never had the possibility to push really like I could before whenever there was like a flat day I was not like I did before you know now you have to push those 30k and you just run it like like this year for example with Tim we just run 30k mm. like that back then I was like okay well I'm I have no idea if my body breaks apart or not so I'm not just not gonna run I'm just gonna hike 10 kilometer 10k easy and then mm. see from there and so this is this was this was what happened. So this was why I was also not in the first first group, but I could still keep keep up with the guys, more or less. And then at Mont Blanc um, was very decisive because um, I remember getting to the Mont Blanc west side, northwest side, um, just an hour behind Simon Oberauner, and he got a thermal there and flew basically straight over Mont Blanc that day. Um, and the, in the morning of that day, we had a 50k, um, uh, 40k uh, dif- distance difference. Then it was just an hour. Was it 30k? Of, then it was just that hour. But this hour led to him being in the end in goal or almost 300 kilometers ahead because that was the first time we changed also the route. And route change meant weather in the Alps always comes or weather generally comes from the West. So first you move through the weather going from the East to the West. So weather passes fast, but then you move with the weather from the West to the East. So these guys that made it over Mont Blanc in the front, they were in the good weather and everybody else was in the bad weather. And that didn't change basically because we were also, we were all basically moving with the weather. And so that was really the first time that was so so obvious what this change in the route meant it meant this you know that you had to be in the good weather on the way back or or you're yeah. in the bad weather <laughs> and, and Kriegel made made the best out of this of course like he understood that before um everybody else always needs to learn from experience i think <laughs> <laughs> and um so we were we like Aaron and I and Toby Toby we were really fighting like from the from Mont Blanc back was a really 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 tough race with a lot of wind with a lot of experiences that were on the edge but yeah also interesting and in the end although I had this broken leg I was I think I I came seventh yeah. in the end so for me, total success. You had that great, great race the last day, right up until 11 o'clock. I was watching you. Uh, was it Manuel? You're racing Manuel, right? Yeah, yeah, Manuel he, he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He went on foot all night, and you guys were just in very kind of different positions. And just, oh, it was a cool race. You almost got him. That, yeah. that looked like a lot of fun. So 23... Mm was you know this is really fresh on everybody's mind the movie just came out i think yesterday so i'd love to hear something that maybe people don't know about that happened to you or your team or just something that's 
still fresh, obviously, but but maybe you know because we we all just watched it. We were you know I was there. I get to experience it with you guys, which was really fun. But uh, you know you, you other than the the obvious stuff, you know you had the you had the the mistake going into Wagrine. Uh, and so you were a little off the back, but then you did some great catching up and then, you know, it was, it was yet another good race. I mean, and like you said, you were really happy with it at the end, but anything just kind of out, outside the box that people don't know about? Just my general impression of the race was it was overwhelmingly good from yeah. flying. <laughs> like for me, it was too much. Like from my coming from where I, where we started in the beginning from 2011, where it was not, a, a pilot i would say um the development was there obviously i could keep up with all these pro pilots that live like that's that grew up with a glider now <laughs> basically that's who who is playing yeah. in the front there um that's that is good for me i could i could do it i could fly with them that was really cool so for me personally to see this development i'm happy about um but for me it was just like I want a day of flying like that and then a day of being, having to push on the ground, you know, taking good strategic decisions, being more like in also the, the footwork adventure, basically. I, I would imagine it must've um, been, I, uh, what I'm hearing from you is it was frantic. And I, I mean, just, just in my role, just trying to keep up with you guys, it was frantic. It was just frantic for six, mm. seven days. I, I, I what, the 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 market made on me was that second the day after Kriegel got in when seventeen of you got in with in the same day that that's that's crazy that's just unbelievable to race twelve hundred k which is really two thousand k and everybody gets in the same day that just was uh, I mean I was I was six hours behind the second yeah, one I think exactly. or seven hours just, or something. After all this time, so the performance. This is this is where it's it, not possible. It, no one could predict that that could ever happen. It just doesn't. It just kind of defied yeah. all the. Here's how this race works. Well, not this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so I was I was coming in thirteenth, and I was still um, just six or seven hours. I don't know exactly, but behind the second one, so that the, the group, the field was incredibly strong. Um, always like strong. I mean, they were always kind of like matching each other. Um, and, but that made a difference. Of course, you had to push all the time, like crazy to be able to do that. But on that very last day, I think it was between nine or, or eight and, and 13, we were one yeah. group together yeah. in the morning. Yeah. Like <laughs> it was Aaron, it was Tommy, um, Sepp. I don't remember, but like we were a big group stay, starting in the morning, uh, doing this la one last um, main reach of the Alps crossing flight <laughs> to the goal. And then we all arrived there. Um, very, very impressive weather. Um, also, the memories for me are still something that I have to, you know, like digest. We basically looked at the whole Alps from a Google Earth perspective zooming around like this <laughs> from an from a crazy altitude like really really cool like really really cool and impressive race with with a lot of flying um experiences that uh, like uh, 
on a normal like we started in the beginning you ne- you would never experience out of a out of outside of a race like that and i think the most the most impressive overall thing and this is this is also maybe motivating for the listeners to what the potential of this this little gear is that we carry on our back it's so impressive like you stand i stand there at 1 p.m in markwardstein on the ground i hike up to this little hill where this little ramp is it's 300 meters vertical and from 1 p.m i start flying i fly all across um germany basically (laughs) to the highest to to the zugspitze land there hike 100 (laughs) meters up or 50 meters up take the glider up fly all the way to ischgl and land there like how impressive just, is that? That's like a drive. That's a that's a five hour drive. Just unbelievable. by car. Yeah, it's just. It, and this is just the nature, the the energy that yeah. is there. We can just use it with that little bit of cloth and get in like totally exposed to nature. We're not having an, any engine yeah. or anything. For me, this is so impressive. Like I, I go. This is the Markwardstein is where Skywalk is. So when I ever I drive there, I look at this, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, how cool is that? <laughs> and there was just the one. There was just the one memorable thing like that. Every day was like that, but that was the one of the most memorable. And then the other one, being on um on on one which pass is it like well before before fish the one pass like. 30, 40 kilometers before getting to the fish turn point, stand, getting up in the morning there, running up to the pass, flying down, running for 20 or 30 kilometers in the flat up to fish and flying from fish out to Niesen, <laughs> land there, hike up 100 meters, do 1,200 meters vertical in 15 minutes by just flying up there, landing on the top, getting the turn point, then fly on to Mont Blanc, flying around Mont Blanc, and then I mean, the, I mean, what is the, it? Those who are listening, who know where you're talking about, they're blown away. But the, for those of you who don't know these places, he's just covered half the Alps, basically. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's insane. I mean, when 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 I was up there that day at Nissan, watching you guys come through, there was I think just before. You got there. There was it was Tommy, Simone, uh, Tim Alonghi, somebody else. They landed within seconds of one another on the top. Literally, just it, and it was blowing twenty k. I mean, again, it, what I'm what I'm trying to speak to is the level. The level is incredible. So you're you're way into the race. <laughs> you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of K into the race at this point, they landed with, within sec, you know, Tim Alonghi's doing helicopters and I, you know, of course just being Tim, but they, they land on the top, you know, and sign the board and take off seconds. away. and uh, Toby was in that group. It was just, you're, you're, you couldn't even capture it. It was just, what the fuck is happening right now? This is, they're just coming in out of the yeah. sky. I mean, they'd launched from right above fruit again, fly up there, launch, hit the, hit the board, take off. And, the, and most of them flew around Mont Blanc that night. I think really one thing, one thing to recommend at this point is 
go on Google Maps or go on Google Earth and type in Niesen or Interlaken. Yeah. Type in Interlaken and Mont Blanc and just look at look at the mountains in between, the distances in between. And we did that basically from midday till the evening in the paraglider. And the what I also love too about the race, I mean, I in some ways when we had less waypoints, I thought it was more interesting because you you had you allowed the pilots to have a lot of creativity. You know, in 2015, there was just hugely different lines being flown, which allowed for a lot of huge changes in the numbers and where people were. Uh, and, but it still happens. And, you know, Damien's flight from Neeson to the Col du Petit, du Petit Saint Bernard was so amazing to watch you know it was so cool that basically everybody that took the more direct line that got stuck in the storm that night at, at mont blanc and couldn't press through pal and a bunch of others and damien flew the whole thing i mean he, he flew that line way to the yeah. north and the turn point that we had in 21 dente Osh, basically he flew over that and so creative, so cool. And it's neat that cool. that kind of thing, especially in this race where everybody's basically flying together for a lot of it and using one another and thermaling together. And, you know, that's just not something I've experienced in any of the races was, was that togetherness yeah. just, you know, five days into the race and 10 people together. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. No, definitely the most memorable moment of 2023 was that flight. Um, first of all, to Niesen and then from Niesen around Mont Blanc because I came there after the storm. When everybody got caught there, I was there afterwards. You just flew right through. And I made it around Mont Blanc and um, over them. <laughs> Basically, I passed them all in the air that day. And um, I, I remember we were, Tim and I were together at cloud base, almost 4,000 meters next to Mont Blanc. And, and I see this gap bit, like at Mont Blanc and I think maybe I can just make it over there, you know, like cut that because there's an airspace. I cut the corner and I try it and I, I go there to the Mont Blanc, which is this huge mountain. So you think it's closer and small and smaller than it actually is. So, and Tim stays on the cloud base. And when I come back, I'm 500 meters below him and he's still up there. And I'm like, shit, there is no more lift. It's 8.30 or, or 8 p.m. And he goes and goes and this perfect glide. And I follow him and I'm like 500 meters lower. And there is this 20 kilometers ahead. And I mean, we had an incredible glide. He, he, I see him, okay, he will make it over. He will make it to, around the Mont Blanc. And I'm like, Shit, I, I just fucked it up, sorry, because I I used these 500 meters to check something out which didn't work. And and suddenly, in the middle of the valley, beep, 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 it starts beeping. And I go up 500 meters at 8.30, in the middle of the valley, in the middle of everything, at 3,000 3, meters, going up another 500 meters or so 600 special. meters. And then having this tailwind and flying 60k per hour over ground just all the way around where you take on a normal cross-country day you take three four hours of flying and work to go go around amazing so, so cool amazing memories paul uh what's next you doing another one of these <laughs> i don't say anything about that right now. <laughs> 
We will see. I, I know that Tom said in an interview afterwards, he said, if you could have weather like that, I'll do it for another 20 years. It was a special year. Obviously, you can't expect that ever again, but it was. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that um, because I like other weather. But some, some days like that, I would definitely love to have again. But other days that were flyable, but... There were days that were flyable and you could make a lot of distance, but it was really, really on the edge where I I don't want to have to go flying. I better have rain and say nobody's flying, we walk, um, but not the condition where you can fly, but it's not, you shouldn't, you just yeah, shouldn't the, fly. The day, the, the Damien, the next day that after the cold dew potato, Petite St. Bernard when Damien had his big day, but you guys all had big days. I, man, I was watching the, the the talkers on the top of the mountains. I mean, it was 50, 60K an hour. It was just so far from recreational flying. I think that's, again, what the live tracking doesn't always really capture and just so sketchy. Yeah, we, I was, I was on, I was on launch with, I was on launch with, Paul Takac that day and Kriegel was on the next mountain and um, everybody was around because that was the day when I ca caught up the day before and and I remember being up there and we checked the weather stations and like you said you look at the at the at the weather stations where we have to go and it's 60k per hour wind and you know you have to go right there and then, <laughs> and then we start flying and and you we start flying and and it works you 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 train this and you see i'm here i'm here and it works i'm not in danger everything's fine but you look on the ground and you see the the shadows of the clouds moving super fast on the ground away from the mountains <laughs> and this is this was very very special very very scary somehow and you go on with all these guys around and there's Paul Duckett, the pro, and there's Patrick von Kenel, the pro, and everybody's pro and everybody knows what he's doing, right? And we all fly together straight into, into the deep, deepest mountain, the highest mountains of the Alps with 50, 60K of north wind on the south side. And it's... It ain't right, man. It's, uh, it ain't right. That's, that's what I would call being the... Be be in the moment and don't think about it. Yeah, you it. don't really want to think about it because you know at some point it's not going to be that nice. You know, when you see the trees all bent over, yeah. you're waiting yeah. for it, you're waiting for it, you're waiting for it. But yeah, crazy. Yeah. Paul, thank you, man. Wow, that was that was the longest longest podcast I've ever one. done. I yeah. hope somebody gets to this point. Maybe maybe you can write me a personal message or in some command. Hey, I listened all the way to one hour and <laughs> yeah, forty. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, my my editor keeps saying you got to keep it to an hour. You got to keep it to an hour. We're an hour and fifty four, so we'll we'll try to keep it under two, I guess. But <laughs> yeah. Paul, that was really special. Uh, if you keep doing this, then if we do another memory lane, we have to start at twenty twenty five because it will take us way too long. To get through it, but <laughs> thanks, man. That was uh, yeah, that was great to two. catch up with you and and hear your perspectives. And excited about what you and Aaron are doing. Yeah, congratulations there, and look forward to seeing you, man. It's uh, it's always special. Thanks, Gavin, and I'm looking forward to have an interview chat with you on Let's my podcast. It. Thanks for the invitation once again. It. Thanks, man.
If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And, of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it would be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I... For a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you 